Yo, what's good everyone? It's Anushan and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy how y'all. Welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. I'm Aswi and today with me I've got AC. What's up guys? And a guest, Mig. Hey, what's up everyone? So because this week is Super Bowl week, we thought we'd bring our friend Mig, our resident football expert, to discuss the Super Bowl, the NFL, and have a little bit of fun with the NBA as well. Thanks for bringing me on. I'm excited to talk some football. I, uh, I don't know too much about shooty hoops, but uh, <laughs> I, I've got the football stuff down. Well, thank you for joining us. We love having you with us today. So what I was thinking we could do here is we got to talk a little bit about this upcoming Super Bowl. It's just too cool and unique of a game with the stakes involved and the players involved for us not to talk about this. And then also maybe we can eventually then talk a little bit about some NBA players who would have been pretty good NFL players if they were given the opportunity. So let's start talking about this Super Bowl. So it's been billed this year as the battle between the consensus GOAT quarterback, Tom Brady himself, and in my opinion, the most talented quarterback ever, who has the potential to become the GOAT in his own right, which is Patrick Mahomes. I mean, how hyped are you guys for the Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, this is this is going to be such a great matchup. Uh, I agree 100% with that. You know, it, as much as it pains to say, Tom Brady is absolutely the GOAT, you know, greatest all-time quarterback. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he's he's been lighting it up the last couple of years. And I think he definitely has the potential to eventually, you know, succeed Tom Brady in that that GOAT title. But he's got a long way to go still, including Tom Brady in his way to get there, right? So... This is not just any Super Bowl. This is a once in a generation, perhaps even once in a lifetime type of matchup. I really don't know if Patrick Mahomes can keep up what he's been doing. I expect it, but I mean, he's up against Tom Brady, right? Like the Lombardi Trophy basically has a middle name and that is Tom Brady, right? So it's just, <laughs> it's it's going to be one hell of a game. And I think even if you're not a, fan of football if you're a fan of sports or just competition or just sheer excellence i think this is a game that you just can't miss because it's two of the very best to ever do it this type of legacy defining event is very common for nba fans we always see this in every playoff series it seems like some stars stock as an all-time player either rises or falls and you don't see this as much with nfl i mean all nfl fans Recognize, for instance, that Dan Marino was considered one of the greatest ever, despite never winning. A lot of experts will consider him one of the 10 greatest quarterbacks ever. There isn't one NBA player who has zero championships that's even in the consensus top 15 players of all time. And frankly, like, it'd be a stretch to even put one in the top 20. Now, part of that, obviously, is an acknowledgement that football is a sport where only one player can do but so much. Like, Tom Brady's not playing a single snap of defense. And part of it is acknowledgement that in basketball, there's best of seven series with you know the best teams winning basically every single time. And that usually means having the teams with the best players. So if you're a really great player, you're expected to win, which, which is fair. Whereas the football playoffs, it's, it's a bit of a crapshoot in the sense that one last elimination, a fumble or something can completely mess you up. You know, all three of our teams, you know, Mig, you're a New York Giants fan. Oswee, you're a lifelong Green Bay Packers fan. And I'm, I'm a lifelong Baltimore Ravens fan. And all of our teams have won Super Bowls in the last decade in seasons where our teams weren't the best teams in their given season. That doesn't happen in the NBA, like basically ever. But here, there is some sense of legacy with these two all-time greats facing each other. I just want to say, go Pack Go, since you mentioned my Packers. (laughs) I think this actually brings up an interesting point that I I recently realized, which is, if you think about it, like you said, Tom Brady isn't playing a single snap of defense. And Dan Marino has never won a championship, but he's still regarded one of the greatest. And so when you see conversations between Dan Marino, between Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Pat Mahomes, there's so much respect between the different quarterbacks. And I think if you compare that to how NBA legends talk about current players and also other legends that came after them, it's a completely different ballgame. They're not as loving and accepting and I'll be honest with you as respectful as the quarterbacks are and I think that's just the nature of the game that they play because quarterbacks all realize that no matter how great any one of them is there's so many factors to get them to that Super Bowl berth 
And it's why Tom Brady is considered the greatest because he was able to get to the Super Bowl like clockwork. Whereas in basketball, your team's success can almost entirely be up to you. So there's that sense of, I don't want to say arrogance, but that sense of self-confidence and self-assuredness that you need to have that that kind of mentality that you're better than everyone. And I, I think that's kind of hard to wash away once you retire. And I really think it has a lot to do with why all these NBA players treat their successors differently than these NFL guys do. I think what you're saying is partly a result of the 90s guys being so prominent because I don't think it's as true as the previous generations. Although I have heard that when, you know, the, the 80s and 90s guys came up, the, their predecessors told them that they, you know, they couldn't have done what they're doing in their league. So I guess maybe it's just an NBA thing. I, I think fundamentally it does come down to legacies, right? So if you're the 10th greatest player of all time, and that means something in basketball. So like, let's say you're someone like Shaq, you're in the top 10. Any other big man that's coming up, he definitely treats them all with a little bit of I don't want to say jealousy because it's not jealousy. He knows he's better than them, but he certainly doesn't give them the benefit of the doubt. And he, it seems like he's actively rooting against every big that's come after him. Yeah. I think with the NFL too, it's like, there's these positions that are just there. Like you mentioned, you know, there's players who don't play either side. You know, if you play on one side of the ball, you play one side of the ball and you know, they're so specific in their roles. Each position is so specific in what they have to do and their role and like what the skill set they have and things like that, that there's just, There's always going to be respect. All right. Well, Meg, I got to introduce you to the kind of thing that NBA fans deal with all the time. What (laughs) will a loss do for Patrick Mahomes' legacy and his chances to become the GOAT? Because if you're a basketball fan, I swear 95% of the talk is about, well, what does this do for LeBron's GOAT case? Can Kevin Durant become the GOAT? You know, is is Michael still the GOAT? That that was going on a little bit when Montana and Brady were, it was still like a debate between them. And then when Brady passed some Super Bowls, it was kind of just a consensus, like shift of opinion. But I think we all acknowledge that Mahomes has the talent. Can he lose on Sunday and still wind up the GOAT someday? If Mahomes loses to Brady here, it's going to be talked about. It's going to be hung over his head for his entire career. Even if he manages to get the same amount of Super Bowls as Brady, they're still going to always say, ah, but he lost to Tom Brady in that Super Bowl way back when. And he, if it's a tie, you know, that, that'll definitely come into play. I, I think if he ends up getting more Super Bowl wins than Tom Brady, which would be crazy in and of itself, I think a lot of naysayers would say, you know, kind of to your, you know, what you mentioned earlier, how like a QB can only do so much, you know, on the field. Like if, if Mahomes has a crazy game and the Chiefs still somehow lose to the Bucks because of like a fumble or a missed field goal or something like that, I think Mahomes still... You know, I, I think he could still be the GOAT. Even Brady, if we look at Brady himself, he's got three losses, right? He's got two to my Giants and Eli Manning, and he's got one. <laughs> you had to throw that in there, of course. I have to throw that in there, you know? And it's apparently, I, I was actually reading something where uh, in an interview, Eli actually mentioned how he never, ever brings up the Super Bowl losses when he talks to Tom Brady. Tom Brady is always the one who brings it up. He always <laughs> brings up that. <laughs> He always brings up, especially that that one where it was, you know, the Giants ruined their perfect season. They're, you know, eighteen and one, uh, eighteen wins and one giant loss. The T-shirt said, right? Um, <laughs> so Brady always brings it up, and if Brady's bringing it up, you know, it's it's something that's like, you know, it's eating at him, right? You know, I think at the end of the day, Mahomes can still be up for goat contention even if he loses this game, but you know, it, it's going to be one of those black marks on his. You know, career. I disagree with the the black mark statement, and I also just disagree with the premise of this question because, look, I'm a fan of Aaron Rodgers, and he's had so much bad luck that people don't talk about him as great as he should be. And you can't really judge a quarterback by simply his losses, and to an extent, you can't judge a quarterback entirely by their wins, also, right? But So often when we're talking about these elite guys, when they win, it's almost always because of their play. And when they lose, it's almost never because of their play, right? So if Patrick Mahomes loses this, oh, well, he's young, he's talented, he'll be back. I don't think it should hurt his legacy in any way because that's just the nature of football. If it's basketball and it's LeBron against some shitty team and if he loses, 
okay, then that could be a black mark. But if Patrick Mahomes played both sides of the field and special teams and was the coach and protected the ball from any fumbles or interceptions or random shit that happens in a football game, then I would say, yeah, you know what? He didn't do enough for that. But if he balls out like we all know Patrick Mahomes is going to do, then can you really hold against him? Sports media loves to create these false narratives comparing people. It's why after LeBron wins his fourth, it's not, wow, look how amazing LeBron's achievement is. It's, oh, well, how does he compare against Jordan in the GOAT conversation? That's the wrong headline to even look at. We are doing a disservice to the greatness that we're about to witness on Sunday by saying, well, okay, if Mahomes loses, oh, all of a sudden that's his case against the GOAT conversation. Yeah, I I totally disagree. I mean, I agree that that's the rational way to look at it, but I disagree that that's not exactly how it's going to be perceived because you should know better than anyone, right? Aaron Rodgers, he was not named one of the 10 greatest quarterbacks of all time, despite statistically. Bullshit. I call bullshit on that. I love Brett Favre, but he was not top 10 over freaking Aaron Rodgers. I'm sorry. Well, when the NFL named their 100 greatest players, they didn't even name Aaron Rodgers one of the 10, right? And it's simply because he only had, only had, quote, in quotes, one Super Bowl. Here you have the guy who has the talent to be the best, right? And the thing that we have to remember here is this is an extraordinarily rare thing that's about to happen here, right? It's so rare that the most accomplished player in the sport and the consensus greatest of all time in that sport gets to play in the same era as an opponent who is the, like the, considered the most talented player in the sport, much less to play against that guy in a championship game. Like for basketball fans, this would be like if Michael Jordan met LeBron James, not just in the regular season, but in NBA finals. Can you imagine how crazy that would be? Oh, yeah. or, if, or if like for fans of other sports, if Jack Nicholas faced Tiger Woods, you know, in like a Masters and they just were going head to head at each other or Pete Sampras, met Roger Federer in like a U.S. Open finals. Like, it'd be insane. And yes, it's clearly absurd that this is being billed as a head-to-head when these guys aren't facing the same defenses. And, you know, there's so many other factors in football. And not to mention that Mahomes is like right in his prime while Brady is clearly not at his peak. But that's even more reason why Mahomes can't afford to lose his game if he wants to become the GOAT. He could win six or seven, but this is always going to hang over him. And as we all know, Getting to Super Bowls is difficult. Winning them is even harder. You can't, if you want to try to get to the number you need to become the GOAT, you, you got to take advantage of every opportunity. It's pretty unlikely that Mahomes is going to get to 10 Super Bowls the way that Brady has. So that's another reason why I think he needs to win this for his own legacy's sake. So, Mig, I want your opinion on this. Is Tom Brady the greatest football player ever? And, and to be clarified, you're asking about the football player, not just a quarterback. Yeah, yeah. All, all around football player. Yeah, so I think Tom Brady's really up there. I think he's I think he's one of the best of all time. Uh, you know, he he's obviously the best quarterback of all time. Quarterback is one of the most important positions in the game. But personally, I think I'm I'm going to use a homer pick here. Uh, Lawrence Taylor. He was best defensive player of all time. He's consensus on that to an extent. And he's he's kind of a player who's really. You know, I'm a big defensive guy myself. I love dominant defensive players. I love seeing a really good defense go to work. But Lawrence Taylor, you know, he he really changed the way defense is played in the modern era. I mean, he he was one of the most defense dominant players out there. He changed, you know, to quote John Madden, he uh, changed the way defense is played. He the way pass rushing is played, the way linebackers play, and the way offenses block linebackers. You know, he he basically sort of kind of invented this you know, dominant edge rushing linebacker position, something that, you know, like it kind of like set the example for guys like Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware, you know, like about half the league now uses these like three, four defensive schemes with these edge rushing linebackers, outside linebackers. And, and Lawrence Taylor was really the most dominant of those. And he completely changed the way defenses played in the modern, you know, modern era. And, you know, to me, that puts a really greatest of all time label you know, someone who's a game-changing type of player. Yeah, I mean, Lawrence Taylor was so dominant that he made the left tackle basically the second most highly paid position in the NFL just because they needed to block someone like like Lawrence Taylor and the many people who afterward who came with that same skill set. I, I don't even think he's the best player. In my opinion, the best player of all time is Jerry Rice. 
you know, obviously the quarterback is the most important position, but Jerry Rice is so far ahead of any other player in so many statistical categories, like total touchdowns, receiving touchdowns, receiving touchdowns in a season, receptions, consecutive games with a reception, receiving touchdowns in Super Bowls, postseason touchdowns, postseason receptions, receptions in Super Bowls, all-purpose yards. Like, it's ridiculous. And I think... You know, you can make a case for a number of other players as well, like Reggie White used to play for your Packers last week. You know, Jim Brown, of course, from the running back's perspective. Lawrence Taylor, as Mig said. So I don't think it's very clear. That's one of the cool things about football is you could have multiple goats, you know, because they're just, they play such different positions, such different roles in a way that, you know, obviously there are different positions in basketball, but the best players kind of just are so dominant. It doesn't even matter what position they are. Honestly, you can't go wrong with Lawrence Taylor or Jerry Rice or my guy, Reggie White, go pack go. Just got to throw that out there. Did you guys know that the greatest shooter of all time, Steph Curry, he's a 43% career three-point shooter. But Tom Brady has a higher chance of getting to the Super Bowl in a given season than Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time, does at making a three-pointer. That's like an absurd set, That's <laughs> to ridiculous. be honest. Yeah, Especially given the randomness of playoff football right i mean we've all had teams that were really good who just kind of flamed out so the fact that someone can so consistently be good and get to this stage is, is incredible on two different teams two different conferences this time he actually had a more serious division than he did throughout the rest of his career and hey man he beat my guy aaron Rodgers fair and square he balled out i i, I have to commend it to him so i mean you really can't go wrong with any of these picks but i, I just wanted to highlight just how crazy this stat of Tom Brady's is. Why don't we transition then, guys, to basketball players who might have been good NFL players if they were given the opportunity to, and they trained for it. Now, there are plenty of football players, some of the greatest all of all time, actually, who have basketball background. Tony Gonzalez, who's arguably the greatest tight end of all time, and also Antonio Grace, another all-time great tight end in his own right. Yeah, and it feels like almost every tight end, even in today's game currently, you know, you, you see a big acrobatic catch go up and and the announcers talk about how so-and-so tight end played high school basketball and high, was high, <laughs> right, right. Highly, highly recruited, could have played in college or, you know, blah, 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 but chose, but chose football instead. So, you know, something that's super common. And, and some other guys that come to mind in other positions, you know, Randy Moss, Probably the most talented wide receiver I ever watched in my entire life. You can watch clips of him catching lobs from Jason Williams. It's actually really cool. And then Julius Peppers, a guy who played for Oswee's team for some time, the Packers, and also other teams, just a dominant defensive end who he really uses length very well, not just to get to the quarterback, but also deflect a lot of passes. Former um, Packer Julius Peppers. Let's, you know, give him his proper title. <laughs> I, I think I did, but sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> Now, there are also several NBA players who are very successful football players. So in the, when I was growing up, the point guard of my Knicks in the 90s was Charlie Ward for some time. And he was actually a Heisman Trophy winner who decided to play basketball instead of football. Yeah, interesting decision because he was just like a mediocre NBA point guard. And then, of course, you know, Allen Iverson comes to mind, who was an incredibly talented Michael Vick-esque quarterback in high school he was so good he actually from the, the same area that michael vick grew up in too in virginia he was so good as a football player that he actually was arguably put in jail partly because the rival football team wanted to keep him off the field i mean that's how dominant of an athlete he was and that's another one of your guys also alan iverson former sixer alan iverson yes 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 my legend I thought it'd be fun if we looked at some current players who could have been very good NFL players given training and given they put on some bulk because I don't think any of these guys could just walk in the NFL. It's a brutal sport. But guys who have the frame and the, the right athletic abilities to succeed on the football field. And what I'll, we'll do is we'll go through each position and Mig, being our football guy, you can explain to our primarily basketball audience, and also we have a lot of international listeners who might not know that much about American football, what these positions are, so then we can explain why we think certain players would fit into them. We'll start on the defensive end, and we'll do a 4-3 defense. That means four linemen and three linebackers, mostly because in a 3-4 scheme requires really, really big defensive linemen especially a nose tackles like me can be well over 300 pounds i don't think anyone in the nba currently fits that bill or maybe really ever did so 
we'll do we'll do a four three defense here, and let's start the defensive ends. And I, I think this is one of those positions that really basketball players like the, their skill set and their length transitions really well to. So, what is a defensive end, Meg? Right. So, defensive end is one of your down linemen. So, if you think if you look at the line of scrimmage where the ball is placed, there's ones on the offensive side, five of them, and then there's four in the four three scheme. There's going to be four on the defensive side. And the ends are at the end of the line on either side. You know, they're on the outside instead of the two interior guys. And typically, you know, these guys have their hand on the dirt. They're someone who's sort of like a 6'4", 6'5", you know, tall, kind of around like that 290 pounds of pure muscle sort of thing. You know, like you mentioned, you know, they're using their length to kind of push off the, you know, push off the offensive linemen and like kind of get around them, create separation. And, uh, and these edge rushers are also typically very agile, too. Yeah, so I think the the skill that's most applicable to this are guys who are fantastic offensive rebounders because they use a lot of the same moves like swim moves and spin moves to get rebounds. So it's kind of the same thing as the defensive ends use to get around offensive linemen. Like these offensive rebounders use them to get out like around guys boxing them out. They also tend to have a really good burst of energy and relentless pursuit that you need to get sacks and also to get offensive rebounds. And these kind of players tend to have the height you need and the vertical as well to deflect passes. And you see that with uh, Julius Peppers, as we mentioned before. So one guy that comes to mind that's right now in the NBA that's perfect for this is Montrez Harrell of the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, he actually played defensive end in high school, and he's undersized for an NBA player at his position at, quote-unquote, only 6'8", but he would be absolutely massive as a defensive end. He's a fantastic offensive rebounder. He understands how to use leverage. He has violent hands, like he kind of just shoves people out of the way sometimes, which is a phrase you often hear when people describe defensive linemen as well. Uh, he has a really quick first jump and a lot of burst, and he plays with ridiculous energy. He, like, he has that pursuit, relentless pursuit to keep going after the boards over and over and over again. That's what you need for guys who want to pursue quarterbacks and pursue runs from behind, things like that. I've got to go with my guy, Dwight Howard. I mean, he is an all-time great defender. Great with rebounds. He has great instincts on defense. And imagine if you try to throw a screen pass on him, he'll just bat it down. He might even just pick it and go all the way. He's in such good shape. You say guys need a bulk to get in from the NBA to the NFL. I think Dwight Howard might be able to just go as is right now because he's just a being of pure muscle. For sure. I mean, yeah, that's a great pick, to be honest. I mean, he's a. One of the greatest all-time defensive players and, and a smart defensive player. I like your screen pass point because I think he's the kind of, because you want your defensive ends to also recognize trick plays, things like that too. And I think he's the kind of guy who could do that. So then let's talk about defensive tackles. What are defensive tackles? Yeah, so if you, so defensive ends are the guys on the outside of your of your defensive line. The defensive tackles are the guys on the interior. They're really just trying to do all the dirty work in the middle. And then typically their their whole point is to try and block up any run lanes that are happening. You know, they, they've got these, you know, they're extremely strong players. And then they're trying to make sure that the QB doesn't have any room to kind of step up in the pocket. Yeah, so I mean, Shaq would have been a monster defensive tackle in his pride. Can you imagine freaking Shaq? <laughs> yeah, in the current NBA, a guy that comes to mind for me is Zion Williamson as, as sort of a 4-3 defensive tackle. So not a 3-4, he's not big enough for that, but a 4-3, one of the smaller defensive tackles who can still get pressure inside. He's compact. He can jump out of the gym to, to deflect passes. He's another relentless offensive rebounder who collapsed the pocket from inside the line. He's also strong as an ox, and he's not going to easily get pushed by opposing guards to create running lanes, as, as you were describing, Mick. Though I have to admit, though, it, it is odd to pick Zion for a defensive role. And right now, Carl in the NBA, he's one of the worst defenders in the NBA. So, but, you know, I, I, there is this weird thing where, you know, in a way, the defensive line is almost an attacking role more than it is a, a purely defensive role in the sense that they're the ones trying to generate pressure. So I think he would be perfect in this role. You know, it's funny you use the word attack. Because when I think attack in basketball, I, I can't think any further than the bad boy Pistons. So I'd like throw Ward <laughs> or Lambier. No yeah. Lambier. You know, as as the uh, tackle, they just come up and probably break the quarterback's arm just for fun. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was a great historical example for sure. All right, so that brings us to the linebackers. 
as a as a Ravens fan, this is one of my favorite positions historically. Uh, we've had a lot of good ones, and even now we have Patrick Queen, who I'm pretty happy about. So, right. Mick, what does a linebacker do? All right, so the linebackers are kind of if the quarterback is the field general on the offensive side of things, then your linebacker is sort of the field general on the on the defensive side. You know, these guys are typically the smartest player on the defense. They're your captain. Uh, they're the ones who are setting up your defensive scheme. They're calling out audibles. If they have to change the play, they have to be both agile and fast. They, they're they also going to be typically, you know, they're, they're going to be bigger players too. They're not going to be as big as your defensive linemen by far, but they're going to still be pretty big, tough players. And, uh, you know, they, they've got to be very quick. They got to be agile. They got to come on blitzes. They got to drop back into coverage. Uh, oftentimes they have to be covering the tight end or, you know, a smaller slot receiver. So they, they've got to be really quick. They've got to be able to read plays really well. Uh, you know, a good linebacking core is really essential to a good defense. AC, you had, you know, with the Ravens, you had such a great era with the Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs on that, you know, in that linebacking core. So you know all about that. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely was a spoiled fan when it comes to this. <laughs> My expectations of what a linebacker is supposed to do are completely unrealistic because I had like Terrell Suggs who could cover people. You could play him as a 3-4 outside linebacker or as a 4-3 defensive end. So we were really, really spoiled. And that's not even counting Ray Lewis. I, when I think of this position, specifically middle linebacker, I, I think about guys who are just really smart, who will read what the play is. Guys are not going to make mistakes, but also have a level of physicality to them. So Meta World Peace would have been the perfect guy for this role. He kind of looked like a linebacker too, even though he was in the NBA. I mean, imagine on an NFL lifting routine, I think he would have been pretty jacked. He just had great instincts for the game, even though it was kind of crazy. In current NBA, the guy that comes to mind for this is Draymond Green. First and foremost, it's his versatility defensively, right? Like he can do a lot of things as an NBA defender, which I think would translate also to the NFL field. He can cover people. He could stop the run, which is kind of the equivalent of like blitzing a pick and roll. He can protect, provide rim protection, which is kind of like batting down a pass. He has just great defensive instincts. He's smart. He's not going to get caught flat-footed making a false step. Guys, I do have some random trivia for you. Draymond Green apparently played two snaps of college football as a tight end at Michigan State. However, his football career wasn't too great. He had two snaps. The first one was a false start. And the second was one where he dropped a pass and it led to a pass interference. And after those two <laughs> snaps, he quit and decided he was going to play basketball. So probably a good probably a good business decision on his part. Now, I understand that my answer will make it seem like I have a bad boys bias and a Sixers bias. But when you talk about crazy and great defensive instincts, what about Dennis Rodman? He's crazy, yeah. great size, speed. He, he doesn't get fooled. He just has that natural knack. And you know what? Wait, wait. About Dennis Rodman, my concern with him is just that I don't know if he's big enough. Like, I think of Rodman, he's a pretty lean guy. You know, I don't actually know, like, he, he could ever ball club to be linebacker size. You know, like, that's my only thing with him. But definitely from an instinct perspective and just what he did on the floor, I mean, he's one of the greatest defenders ever. Well, okay. If If size is an issue for you, then what about my guy, Ben Simmons? He's oh, I like that. He, he'll be kind of like, uh, didn't the Patriots have that guy Hightower who is this massive linebacker? Ben could totally be that. He has all of the natural defensive instincts. He's so big and tall that he would be great in coverage. He has great hands. If if you try passing over him and he's in coverage, he's definitely catching that. And he'll probably run it all the way home. So I got to go with my guy, Ben. He can play any scheme. He has speed, strength, size. He would be high tower on steroids. I, I actually like Ben Simmons as an outside linebacker more than like the Dante Hightower sort of inside linebacker, precisely because of the, the package of skills you mentioned. I, I think he actually could potentially rush a passer because he's got all the same things that we talk about with our, our defensive ends, but he's also got this really great coverage ability where it's really hard to even pass the ball to him. He's one of the NBA leaders every single year in deflections and also steals of passes and also steals on the ball so he's just like got great defensive instincts all around he's got great strength and size i think he is the kind of guy with the frame that if he bulked up he could be big enough to be at least some sort of an outside linebacker although 
I don't know if I've ever heard of like a seven foot linebacker before, but um, I like the I like the the thought. Meg, can you tell our audience what a cornerback does? Yeah, sure. So corners are the players who are lining up right against some of the fastest, most explosive, freakish athletes on the field, which are the wide receivers. So these corners have to be blazing fast, super agile. They have to have insane reflexes, ability to stop and start on a dime. Uh, best corners need to be ridiculous students of the game. So, you know, quarter, you know, quarterbacks are directly playing mind games with them to try and reveal how they're covering wide receivers. And then in the same regard, these corners have to be playing mind games with the QB to try and get them to you know, bait them to throw a pass that, you know, to a receiver who's actually covered really well so that maybe they can get a, you know, interception or bat down the pass, you know, something like that. Uh, and then these guys can be, you know, some of the shortest players on the field, actually, typically, uh, you know, their, their height's never really exceeding six feet tall um, on average. Yeah, I think that the height thing is a good point there, Mick, because I think a lot of people, if they had to pick NBA players to be corners, they would pick like the classic shutdown wings in like the Scottie Pippen mold. So someone like Kawhi Leonard or Paul George in today's game. But I've definitely seen enough football to know that quarterbacks have to have, you know, incredibly fluid hips and being too tall can be a disadvantage, especially like when they're outside of press coverage, when they have to cover in space. So I'm going to pick lockdown defensive guard. And, you know, historically, the perfect person for this would be Gary Payton, right? A guy who's like small, compact, just fantastic defensive instincts, literally one defensive player of the year while being like six feet tall. He'd be perfect, right? In current game, I think someone like Drew Holiday would be pretty perfect. At 6'3", he would be pretty gigantic for a quarter, to be fair. But maybe he'd be like a press coverage only guy. But he's an absolute master at slinking around screens, making it difficult to even pass his man the ball. He usually has like a pretty big offensive burden as well. But if he was asked to just play defense, I feel like he would be the perfect shutdown corner. He just makes running any set difficult. Like from the start of the set, he's like pressing you full court and then just like wrecking a couple of plays. And it just makes everything annoying. And I think he would just be one of those corners you'd just kind of stay away from if he was playing in the NFL. Let me ask you, what about the point god himself, CP3? Oh, Don't that even- would be... That's a fantastic. I don't know how I forgot about Chris Paul. I mean, the guy, he's the perfect size, right? He's definitely not six feet tall. If he is, he's like just barely by, you know, on his tippy toes. He is incredible speed, especially, you know, before his injury. He was such a fast player. Uh, Just great fluidity. He's just incredible technique. Even though he's so small and old now, he's he's still one of the best defenders in the league. His natural defense instincts. And and as a corner, you absolutely need that because... A corner's job is entirely reactive, right? And how many times have you seen CP3, especially on fast break, just shut it down completely? And think about back in the day when he'd guard Kevin Durant. You know, he's half the size of the guy, and he just has such perfect technique to perfectly cover him. Uh, I mean, obviously, Kevin Durant could shoot over top of him, but still, he would be such a difficult person to play against. And in a position that's primarily reactive i think chris paul has just has all the natural instincts and then also the work ethic to watch the film to really make sure he gets all the plays down perfectly for sure um i think he could have put him in a lot of positions as well he could have been a good quarterback he could have been a good safety Uh, and you know speaking of safeties mig let's let's kind of move on to that you know i was very very lucky to watch ed reed play his whole career you know, from his rookie season all the way to his retirement. It's another position I've been really spoiled at watching, literally the best at his position ever, at Mm. least in my opinion. What do safeties do? Right. So safeties are another type of defensive back. So corners are one type and the safeties are the other. Safeties are typically, uh, you know, they're they're the furthest lined up away from the line of scrimmage. So they're they're the deepest in the defensive backfield. Typically in today's game, these guys are going to be bigger than your corners. They are the, you know, sure tackle kind of guys, you know, the last kind of line of defense on 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 the defensive side of things. They're very versatile players who are, you know, it's they're almost like, you know, sometimes some of the best safeties in the game now are these like kind of hybrid players. Yeah, so I think the the easy temptation would be to go with like a dynamic rim protecting big like an Anthony Davis or like a Giannis. They are like the backline emergency valves uh, for NBA defenses. 
But I don't think those guys would have quite the range to play safety. I think they're almost a little bit too big. Like to me, the perfect NBA safety from historical sci-fi would have been Dwayne Wade. He's one of the great help defenders ever at the guard position. You know, only Michael Jordan has blocked more shots as a guard than Dwayne Wade. So he's like the perfect last line of defense guy. He's ideal size. He's strong. He's got tremendous burst. He's an absolute playmaker. He has great hands. He's going to out jump basically anyone on the NFL field probably well, with his explosiveness. So he would have been fantastic. Uh, I'm going with current players. I have two guys for you. Two guys who are very similar who play for historical rival teams. That's Marcus Smart of the Boston Celtics and Alex Caruso of the LA Lakers. Both of these guys are fantastic guards that help defense. They can switch on to bigger guys in a pinch, which, as you mentioned, sometimes safeties have to cover people. Like they might have to cover tight end, for instance, and that's often one of their primary assignments or running back. So they can do that in a pinch. Both Caruso and Marcus Smart have quick hands and they have sudden burst. They're actually kind of like two of the stronger players at the guard position. And it's not inconceivable to me that they could have bulked up a lot more if they were on that kind of regimen. They have great defensive instincts. They can both provide backline emergency protection as well. Like They're both great at getting in the way of slashers and and drawing charges. And Caruso actually can even provide some shot blocking because he's actually a really good jumper. So I I think they would be perfect safeties. You know, I hate you for taking Dwayne Wade. I was going to save him first. I have to always say LeBron because realistically, LeBron could probably play every single position. So... I'll just throw LeBron out. But my real guy is actually Matisse Thibel. And yes, I know what you're all going to say. Oh, wow. Big surprise. Us, we chose yet another Sixer. I was actually going to say that exact thing. So (laughs) you beat me to it. Hey, hey, hey. There we go. Well, look, it's not my fault that the Sixers happen to have a number of elite defenders on their team. You know, like, what can I do? But... I think Matisse really does belong as a safety because I know him, Ben, and Danny Green, when I last checked, were leading the league in deflections for guards. I mean, this guy, recently, he's been so clutch with his defensive play where he's just knocking the ball out of guys' hands. He's jumping passing lanes. He has this natural instinct that is incredible. And I could totally see him and... I'm, I'm, I would never compare him to Ed Reed, but I could see him doing some type of Ed Reed-esque thing where he's just coming from the opposite side and just intercepting the ball right from the guy because that's what he actually does in basketball games. So I think Matisse Thibel would be an amazing safety. That being said, he absolutely needs to put on a hell of a lot of muscle before he's playing any football. Yeah, he's way too skinny. I don't. He don't see his frame bulking to that level. I don't even feel comfortable having him play flag football because he's that big. <laughs> so, guys, who do you think would be the best NBA player to play quarterback? So, I got two names for you, and I don't know if either of these guys ever actually played football. Is the funny thing because they're both international guys. So, I got Nikola Jokic and Luka Doncic. Both of these guys have tremendous size, and you know, let's start with Jokic. So Jokic would be probably the biggest quarterback in the history of that NFL. Uh, he's, literally, he's literally seven feet tall, but he's surprisingly agile. He reminds me a lot of Big Ben in some ways, which, you know, I've rooted against Big Ben my whole life, but I respect the man for what he can do on the football field. Just his ability to kind of shrug off a hit and just be just nimble enough to get out of the way of things and then just make passes. Jokic is fantastic footwork and he's way more agile than he looks at his size. He just can, yeah, he's deceptively agile. And he can literally make any pass on the basketball court. And I, I mean, like, he can make those full court passes effortlessly that I would want to see a basketball player be able to make to say they have any chance of becoming a football quarterback. So I think he has that. And he's smart. And he, I mean, one thing about the quarterback position is you've got to be really smart. You've got to spend time and, you know, really understand what's going on there. And that brings me to my other guy, Luka Doncic, who basically is like, you know, LeBron minus like his extreme athleticism. He's got fantastic size. He's so talented at so many things. But one of the things he's most talented in is just his passing ability. He throws that cross-court bullet pass right into the pocket of the shooter. So effortless. He just reads the defense. He's so patient. He's another guy who's more athletic than he looks like. He would kind of, I think in, in NFL terms, he would be like, a, 
both these guys would be clearly pocket passers, not guys you want really running too much, but he's not like unathletic either. And, you know, at six, seven, six, eight, he can see right over the defense. So he wouldn't have any problem with getting his any throws batted down. Well, it's funny. You mentioned a guy who's like LeBron minus the athleticism. Well, my guy is a guy who's like LeBron with athleticism. It's actually big surprise, LeBron James. I mean, <laughs> the guy is everything you said, but then he'd be mobile doing that too. Can you imagine if LeBron James is your quarterback? Look, he could be a safety. He could be a tight end, wide receiver, running back, whatever the hell he wants. He could be the head coach if he wanted. But if LeBron James is your quarterback, you know that he's completely read the entire defense he knows exactly what the defense is going to do. He'll throw a perfect pass to carve out that defense, just like he does on the basketball court. It's no question for me, LeBron James has to be in the conversation for that. To your point, Asmi, you know, even just recently, I think it was Patrick Williams, the Bulls had that LeBron was calling out all their plays as they were running them. So this is what LeBron does. He literally just memorizes opponents' tendencies. And, and there's a famous... Uh, time in Toronto where he was telling he was moving players around, telling them where they needed to be. He's like, no, that's the player you're supposed to run on the other team. Yeah, he definitely is like a film maniac, so I could see that. Makes sense. I mean, he's a genius, right? And that's exactly who you want helming your team. But another player that I do think we should give some love here is actually Kevin Love. He's a guy (laughs) He's a guy who can throw that full court pass and he just has a great touch. He's a very intelligent player. And I, I just feel like he could be like a Big Ben, maybe maybe not as mobile, but I, I just feel like Kevin Love would be a great option. Aswi, so you're talking about fat Kevin Love, right? Not the skinny model Kevin Love that we have in NBA right now? Well, although the meme lover in me would love to say it's the fat Kevin Love, I mean, realistically, if you look at Kevin Love right now, he has a similar build to a lot of white quarterbacks right now. And so I feel like even thin Kevin Love has the proper build for a quarterback. He's not much bigger than Aaron Rodgers or Philip Rivers or even Tom Brady for that matter. So I think Kevin Love is a great pick. And as some of you may know, he's named after Wes Unseld because of Wes Unseld's famous full court passing. So I think he would be a great quarterback. Yeah, so yeah, his dad played with Wes Unseld and he gave him that. I think his middle name is Wes, if I'm correct. Um, yeah, it's Kevin Wes Love. Yeah. Uh, weird thing, Kevin Love thing, by the way. He's also, his uncle is actually Buddy Love from the Beach Boys. <laughs> so he's, he's got an interesting family. But yeah, my thing with Kevin Love, though, is this dude can't stay healthy on the basketball court. I can't imagine getting tackled by a giant men. So I don't know. <laughs> he's the best pick. <laughs> he love worse than a, a popped shoulder. And that's for sure. <laughs> for sure. So that brings us to the position which probably most translates to basketball players, and that's tight end. So, Mig, what does a tight end do? Right. So tight ends, and I was actually talking about this with uh, one of my other friends recently. I actually think tight ends are one of the most versatile, best players on the field that's not a QB. Uh, And when you think about what a tight end has to do, you know, they're a wide receiver. They're typically a receiving threat. You know, they've got to make these crazy catches down the field they're they're also bigger players who also have to be you know they're going to help out with blocking they're really versatile players who are who can do pretty much pretty much like a jack of all trades on the offensive side of the ball yeah so the obvious answer here for a tight end because of the versatility you mentioned is lebron james now lebron in high school was an all-state wide receiver and it makes sense because he ran a 4-4-40 and has an absurd vertical. And his junior year, he was doubled all year long and still had 1,160 yards and 15 touchdowns as a wide receiver. But, Jeez. but yeah, yeah, he was a beast. you know. But LeBron at this stage of his career is not quite as fast as he was back then. And I think he was always probably best suited if he ever went to the NFL at the tight end position because of his bulk and his ability to get, you know, do some blocking, to be able to catch in traffic, that kind of thing. That being said, there are some crazy stories of LeBron playing football. You know, it's, it reminds a little bit of what, like, stories we hear about Dr. J dunks back when he was playing streetball at Rucker Park. Like, there's no footage of it, but we all just hear these absurd stories. Now, there is some footage of LeBron playing, but not some of the things that he's rumored to have done. He reportedly, like, made one-handed grabs while jumping over quarters. Former Packers safety Mark Murphy 
said the following quote about LeBron as a receiver. He said, quote, I rate my top receivers, coaching, playing, or watching, as James Laughlin, Jerry Rice, Steve Largent, and LeBron James. So that's the kind of company that Mark Murphy put this guy into who coached him a little bit in high school. And LeBron was actually even recruited by Urban Meyer. Mm. But I, I think that in the NFL, his his frame fits more with the tight end role, kind of like what we see with uh, Tony Gonzalez, with Antonio Gates. He would just been a great end zone threat. Mm. Well, if you're talking about size, jumping up for a lob and stuff like that, you don't need to look further than Aaron Gordon or Blake Griffin, right? They are athletic beasts. They have good size so that they could bully people around if they really wanted to. Two dunk contest winners as well. Well, no, Gordon should have won. He was. Oh, that's denied. right. That's right. I forgot that. I actually forgot that he didn't win. Poor guy. He's the greatest dunker to never win the dunk contest. That's true. Yeah. But at the same time, let's be real. If a lob's thrown up to Aaron Gordon or Blake Griffin, there are very few people in the NFL who could outjump those two. On planet Earth, probably. <laughs> so now they can say it. Yeah. You know, another guy I, I would, we should probably throw in here that would be perfect for this role is Giannis, right? I mean, especially with how much he's bulked up recently. He's just big. He's got great hands. He might be a little bit like too long in, in some ways, but I just feel like it's another guy that no one's going to outjump with this ridiculous reach. He's pretty fast, too. He's literally a freak. So, you know, we're just really like not even like he's not like powerlifting. He's put on so much muscle that I, I would imagine that if he was in the situation where he had to, he could put on, he has, he has a frame to put on more muscle. All right, Mig. So what about a running back? Can you tell us what they do? Yeah. So running backs are some of the better athletes on the field and their role is to basically advance the ball by running it on the ground, similar to how, you know, the ball is advanced in rugby, you know, handoff or pitch. And, you know, these guys are typically going to be very strong, very agile, very quick. Uh, they need to be able to break tackles either by running over people or making them miss. So I got two names for you guys of people who would have been good running backs. The first is Anthony Edwards, who, you know, is the number one pick this last year. But he said you know, throughout the whole process, I was actually critiqued for this by saying that his first love was always football. He started off playing football. He was the number one rated 10-year-old running back in the country for whatever that's worth. I don't know how much how much talk we can put into pre-puberty running backs, but <laughs> he was the number one uh, running back all the way back then. He comes from real poverty and a lot of family tragedy. So he decided that he would go to basketball for the sake of making enough money. But he's an absolute tank. You could have picked him for a linebacker, frankly. He's absolutely gigantic. And he kind of has a fearless way of attacking the rim, and he's incredibly athletic. And speaking of fearlessness and athleticism, the obvious guy for this answer is Russell Westbrook, right? I mean, he plays with so much energy. He drives against big men. He dunk, tries to dunk on the unit at this age. Uh, he attacks him over and over again. He's just an explosive athlete. He has, absolutely has a frame that if he bulked up, I think he could have been a running back in the NFL. Damn it, you took my guy again. I was going to say Westbrook. But in place of Westbrook, I could definitely see somebody like Darren Fox or even a young John Wall who just have this, this shiftiness, this quickness that they can always get to the rim at will, seemingly. And they just remind me of those running backs who are so good on the lateral game and who can just find holes in a line. These guys are not going to be like your power backs, but they will definitely be one of your dangerous, shifty type of running backs. Yeah, that, those, those are two really good picks. What about the offensive line, Mig? What's just like an offensive tackle? Do us start with the tackles? Right. So offensive tackle, as we were talking about earlier, if, if one of the most important dominant players on, you know, defensive players to have is a defensive end to basically be a anti-QB nullifier, well, your offensive tackle lines up against the defensive end and is becomes your most important weapon against the defensive end. They have to be able to, you know, basically hold off these extremely, you know, mobile, quick, agile, strong, high motor type of guys. And they're typically, as a result, they're one of the highest paid offensive linemen out there because they're, they're tasked with protecting your QB, especially your QB's blind side against these, you know, kind of freak athletes. Yeah, so my team, the Baltimore Ravens, actually has a track record of getting former basketball players to play tackle. You know, we had Michael Orr, who you might know from the blind side, and we had Jared Gaither, who was also a former basketball player, 
who at the time was the tallest player in the NFL. So there's a, a really logical transition be- between basketball players and football offensive tackles because of the size and the footwork that is required in the position. And that's why my pick for this is Oswee's guy, Joel Embiid. He is just an absolute giant of a man. He would be by far the biggest NFL player probably ever to play at over seven feet tall. He's also got the the girth to put a kindly to, for this <laughs> position. Um, you know, he's he's a monster of a man. He's not just some some rail thin guy. But the thing that I think translates the best here is his footwork. This is a guy who is so huge, but has like the feet of a gazelle. He's just like so dexterous of the way that he's able to to get around bodies and, and go through go around people. He's Euro steps. He's all this kind of stuff that he can do. And he's proven that he's such a great defensive player, not just a protecting the rib, but he can, at least to some degree, switch out onto guards and has the, the footwork to stay in front of them. So I think that translates really well to being an offensive tackle. Yeah, but you know what does not translate very well to the NFL? Being injury prone and out of shape. So, <laughs> so for that reason, look, I don't know if you all have noticed, but I have not mentioned Joel Embiid thus far. And the primary reason is because he's not available to play. So for that reason, I do not pick Joel Embiid in this role or in any other roles. That being said, I pick Marc Gasol as my tackle. Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. I like he's that pick. A, he's an incredibly intelligent player. He has great footwork. He has great positioning. He knows how to read a defense well. And I feel like if he was guarding Aaron Rodgers, I'd feel pretty comfortable because Mark Gasol is a big guy and he can move quick and he doesn't have nearly as much injury issues as Joel Embiid. So for that reason, I would put him as my tackle. Yeah, especially we're getting a younger Mark Gasol. I don't know about current no, uh, yeah, Mark Gasol, who you know can't even play twenty minutes. But sure, I'm yeah. sure younger Mark Gasol, not not, uh, not LeBron's teammate Mark Gasol. I'm talking about <laughs> Zebo's teammate on the Grizzlies, Mark Gasol, the the All Star, the star of that Grizzlies team, that mid 2010s team, that Gasol, right. Now, Mig, what does an offensive guard do? So we talked about the tackles, and we'll talk about the guards, and we'll include a center in here too, because the center snaps, but they're basically essentially more or less the one of the guards. Right. So offensive tackles are on the outside of the of of the offensive line of the five that are lining up. So the guards and center are the interior three of the five linemen lineup, basically, and. These interior linemen, they're typically more agile. They kind of jump off the line and then run in the direction that the running back is supposed to be running in to take out a linebacker or push out a defensive end or or run up into the hole to get to the next level and create a bigger hole for the running back to run through. You know, they're they're going out on screens, you know, if they're if they're gonna get past the ball to the running back on the outside. Yeah, I don't think there's really any NBA player that fits this mold of player like you're talking about like guys who can who are just gigantic who can just push through huge defensive linemen and create holes and even get to the linebackers and knock them out i just don't think there's nba players who have that kind of physical build yeah quentin nelson's six foot five 330 pounds and he's like one of the best there you go. there's, just, there's no one with that kind i don't think you could play basketball with that kind of a uh, frame like you know but if i had to pick someone just for fun i'm gonna pick daniel tice because this man he doesn't set, you know, there's moving screens where like, you know, you're moving when you set the screen. This guy's invented a new type of screen setting where he sets the screen and then he runs forward and just knocks out the center. <laughs> he just like pushes them. And like, this is not called in the NBA for some reason, because no one has realized what, what he's doing, but he's been doing this for a couple of years now. And it's absolutely infuriating whenever you watch a Celtics game, he will like set the screen and then he'll roll into the paint and just knock out whoever the guy there is to rotate into the help against the driver. So it's like a free layup every time. So it's basically what a guard does. So he's my pick for NBA player could be a guard. You know how you described a guard reminded me of big baby Glenn Davis, who's <laughs> his only job was to just be a big guy in the middle, just bully people if he could. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really don't have anything for guard other than big baby Glenn Davis. Yeah, big baby was probably playing the wrong sport, to be fair. <laughs> I should say he probably made a good amount of money in his career, was part of a championship team. So, you know, but he just, he was just, 
just had the wrong body type for an NBA player. Which brings me to the last position, uh, which is the wide receiver, Mig. And I, I, this is a position where there's so many guys who I think just naturally fit into this. Like, what does a wide receiver do? So wide receiver are the premier catching players. So the quarterback is throwing the ball to them. And they can really be a wide range of types of body types and skill sets. You know, you're going to have your really tall, much larger you know, receivers who, you know, kind of your jump ball kind of guys, you're going to have your small speedy ones, but you know, they're, they're all going to be agile. They're all going to be quick. They're all going to have amazing catching ability hand, you know, hands catching ability, and they're going to be very explosive, high jumping type of players. Yeah. So I think for this position, like basically any athletic guard would be as big as the biggest wide receivers in the NFL and any athletic forward would basically be flat out unfair. Uh, now, granted, they would need to learn all the technical skills of route running, which is not easy. Yeah. Like, this is not a position where you can just be athletic. This is definitely a skill. And it's not just catching the ball. It's like really being able to create separation. So we can't just say that any NBA player could just play this in this role. But just from like a physical standpoint, I think like NBA wings who bulked up are kind of the perfect athlete for this position. And you can take your pick of any of like number of wings from Zach Levine to Aaron Gordon, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, who, by the way, uh, relatively recently said that he would have been a great wide receiver. I don't know with what evidence he's saying that, but he made that <laughs> claim. Um, or you can even take highly explosive guards who would, you know, might seem small to us from by NBA standards, but they're actually huge by NFL standards. So someone like Donovan Mitchell or John Morant, can you imagine the verticals on those guys if, you know, they had the requisite skill set of route running and also that they bulked up considerably? Yeah, right. Like a tall wide receiver is considered like six foot three, six foot four. Like I could imagine that's that's like a what like average NBA player size. That's below average. So that's oh. like that's like a taller point guard, or maybe like a I'd say an average point guard, and like below a shooting guard, and way below a small forward, power forward center. So like the average NBA height, I think, is like six seven. So yeah, <laughs> it's like, like there's not too many six, seven guys running around there in the NFL. And that's why it's compelling, right? That's why we think like some NBA guys could have made it because they just have such unique physical tools. But I, but I never want to be one to like, dismiss like the amount of one, how just how absolutely physically brutal the NFL is. Like these NBA guys would have to bulk up considerably. And even then, like a wrong hit could just ruin their careers. And also just because it's like wide receiver, like there are things where like, you know, I've seen plenty of guys who who are drafted with four three forties, and they just they just are just total busts in the in NFL. So there is a, a, an absolute element of skill to the to the position. Mm-hmm. You know what, guys? This conversation has got me really hyped for this Sunday's game. Who do you think is going to win it? Yeah, I think uh, I'm. I personally hope that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win again. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a big, even though Tom Brady is. The GOAT QB, I'm still a Tom Brady hater down <laughs> deep down. I think that the Chiefs have a good defense. I think that Tom Brady is going to make a mistake or two. I mean, he already did in, in the championship game. And, you know, I think he made three uh, mistakes. Three mistakes made, in that game. Exactly. Don't remind me. Don't remind me of that game. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so, but I think, you know, the, the Chiefs' offense is just so explosive. They have so many weapons. Patrick Mahomes is going to play his best in this game. And I think Brady is going to have, you know, one or two mistakes and and the Chiefs are going to capitalize on him and and the Chiefs are going to win it. I think it's still going to be a close game. I don't think it's going to be, you know, you can't ever, you can't ever count Tom Brady out. You know, I think it's, it's going to be down to the wire, but I, I, I think the Chiefs win it. Yeah. I'm a little bit worried about this injury to Eric Fisher. I think a left tackle being out might not matter for high-powered offense like this, but, you know, like, it's one of those things where it doesn't matter until it does, right? Like, you saw that with Bakhtiari two weeks ago with Green Bay Packers. His injury didn't matter until, like, the Bucks overwhelmed that offensive line. So I'm right. worried about that, but not enough to pick the Bucks. I think, first of all, even though we're talking about Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes, this is not the, you know, this is not peak Tom Brady. You know, he's good enough still, clearly, to win, but... Patrick Mahomes is is just so so good, and there are too many weapons. I, like, there's just like I don't know how you can scheme to stop like both someone like Tyreek Hill and someone like Travis Kelsey and all the other weapons they have. I just think they're always going to be in it just because they have this explosive offense. And, and if you make mistakes against them, it, it's over. You know, as, as a Ravens fan, we've barely lost too much since Lamar has come on board, and that's a team we've lost to 
three times, and it's just because like you need to play perfect football against them because Mahomes is that good and that team is that good. Agreed. My whole life, I've supported Tom Brady. I've been a Tom Brady fan in every Super Bowl except for the one against the Eagles because at the time, Adam Silver tampered with our team, so I felt bad for Philly. So I figured, <laughs> you know what? So I, I figured, you know what? Let, let me root for the Eagles this time because they've never won. And, you know, but typically I've always rooted for Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Do I think he's going to win? No, just because of literally everything you just said, AC, about the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. So I feel like in this matchup, even though I'm always rooting for Tom Brady, the football fan in me is just going to sit back, have a drink, and just soak it all in. Because regardless of the outcome, we have a hell of a matchup in our hands. For sure. So, you know, with that, I, I think we should bring this podcast to a close. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you, Mig. Thanks for coming on board. Yeah, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you guys, talking some shooty hoops and some football. <laughs> <laughs> so for all of our listeners, we want to thank you guys for tuning in. And please like, rate, and subscribe on whatever your listening platform of choices. And we will see you again soon. Peace out, guys. Later.